At the time, it was the deadliest crash in the United States. We're going to be talking about PSA Flight 182 on this episode, Taking Off Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Taking Off Podcast. I'm Dan Milliken. And I'm Christy Wong. Christy, we are talking about, at the time, it was the deadliest air crash uh, in the history of the United States. Um, it only held that um, horrible title for eight months. But um, now, you, before we get into PSA, uh, you were telling me a little bit before we started this and that uh, you've been flying a lot and something happened. Um, well, yeah, it wasn't really an incident or anything like that, but it just, it was really weird. I actually thought about this exact crash because, uh, yesterday we were flying and we were, um, doing a visual approach into, uh, an airport and ATC kept telling us, Hey, there's a traffic, you know, about your 12 to one o'clock, five miles ahead. X amount of feet below. And they told us probably every 15 seconds, cause it was a 172. And of course, in a jet, we're going much faster than said 172. And I kept thinking about this exact incident. And um, we wound up passing over top of the 172. And then, you know, we wound up going in and before them, we got vector, well, sort of vectored around. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it just reminded me that these incidents, I mean, we're talking about today's technology and everything else really protects us. But in 1978, when the PSA crash happened, they didn't have the same kinds of technologies that we did. They were expected to be pretty visual. And we never saw that 172, by the way, that we overtook and passed over. Well, right. And, you know, the technology you have today is because of some of the things yeah. uh, like flight 182 and other flights as well. Right. Uh, all right. Let's go to the details then on PSA 182. It was San Diego and it was in uh, September of 1978. There were a hundred and um, I think 130 some, 130 some odd people on the plane. There were two people on the Cessna and then there were like seven people on the ground that were killed. A total fatality count of 144, which to that point was the uh, largest uh, airline crash in the United States until not, you know up to that point. And you know what's crazy is that um, not long before this crash happened, PSA had another near uh, midair with an airplane in San Francisco, and so mm. it was definitely a topic on everybody's minds. Number one, there was a lot that went into this crash, though, and um, it's really unfortunate because they. They never saw it, but at the same time, they were also slightly distracted by some conversation that was happening in the flight deck that right. probably shouldn't have been happening, you know, under the 10,000 feet. There's a reason why we have the sterile cockpit under 10,000. And this is was that in place at this time? Um, I can't say for certain. I want to say yes. Okay. Because that's been, I mean, that rule has been around for a pretty substantial amount of time. Right. But I don't want to. I don't want to say on record yes or no because I am unaware. Right. You know what? Let's look it up while you while you All look right. at it. So what we had um, to give more specifics. So the PSA um, Pacific Southwest Airlines Flight 182 had left Sacramento earlier in the day and was on its way to San Diego via Los Angeles. 
and the flight crew was very experienced. Um, the captain, uh, Jim McFerrin, had f- over 14,000 flight hours, including 10,482 on this 727. And that's what the PSA 182 was, a 727. And they were on the uh, approach into San Diego when this accident occurred. This is interesting. Right. The sterile cockpit under 10,000 went into place, it says, in 1981. Because oh, of wow. incidents okay. like so this. So it was this. Okay. So so it was not in place. So they were not necessarily doing anything wrong according to the, the books at that point. Right. It says in 1981, the FAA enacted FAR 121, 542, and FAR 135, 100 to help curb the number of these types of accidents okay. where people were forgetting stuff in critical phases of flight. All right. It was 9 o'clock in the morning out over the skies of San Diego. And the PSA crew were alerted by air traffic control, the approach controller, about the Cessna 172 that was doing um, training. Yeah. The, so it was a CFI with his student. They were doing um, practice approaches. The pilot flying, who was the student, was under the hood. And the CFI was kind of walking through. It was a beautiful VMC day. And... Um, I mean, they were just out doing what any of us doing training would do. The CFI had a lot of hours. He had, I think, over 5,000 hours. The student had 400 or 500 hours. So they were skilled pilots, and they were under. They were also under the guidance of uh, air traffic control. They were talking to they the They were talking to them. They weren't just cowboying it out nope. up there in the, in the approach lanes of— of San Diego. Now, here's the interesting thing, though, is that they were given instructions on how to do the missed approach. Yep. And they had deviated off course a little bit. And that that becomes really important. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So, so the, the both planes were talking to air traffic control. So San Diego Approach Control does reach out to the PSA, and they say exactly this: PSA 182, 12 o'clock. Or traffic, 12 o'clock, one mile northbound. And the captain of the PSA says we're looking. Um, One mile is really close, (laughs) by the way. Really, really close. That is like seconds. Okay, actually, yes. I'm just reading from the transcript here. That was actually something else because then um, nine seconds later, air traffic control says this. PSA 182, additional traffic, uh, 12 o'clock, three miles, just north of the field, northeast bound, a Cessna 172, climbing VFR out of 1,400. Okay, yeah, then that was the accident airplane. But three, I mean, three miles is still pretty close. Yes, um, three miles is still pretty close. Um, Okay, so that's at 8.59 and 39 seconds. The collision happens... At 9.01.42, so in less than two minutes. Yeah. So, and, and it's page of transcripts in less than two minutes. So, yes, they were talking quite a bit. Um, now, uh, the captain and the first officer both identify the traffic and let air traffic control know traffic in sight. So, PSA says traffic in sight. San Diego instructs them. Okay, sir, maintain visual separation. Contact Lindbergh Tower on the frequency. Have a nice day. Um, so they they saw it. They had it in sight initially, but then they lost it. And a really here's a really interesting thing. Okay, so remember, this was the late 70s. What colors were really popular in the 70s? 
like white yellows and oranges oh. and things of that nature. This airplane had been painted, I think, like a yellow orangish color. It was like yellow orangish with white. And a lot of the houses below were also uh, yellow, orangish. The pastels. Yep, exactly. So they caught, they had it in sight, but then they lost visual contact with it, and they never said anything. They didn't say, we, didn't, we don't see it. And the airplane just kind of blended right in to, right. The, to that color motif of the ground below. So at 9 a.m. and 22 seconds, the captain had told approach control traffic in sight. 22 seconds. Then at... 42 seconds, so 20 seconds later, the um, the captain queries the first officer says, yeah, but I don't see him now. Yeah. So they had lost him. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we had it there a minute ago. I think he's off to our right. You know, so they're they're trying to find him. And as a 727, so you actually have three up there. You've got the, the first officer, the pilot, and the engineer, flight right. engineer. And I think there may have been a jump seating pilot or something as well up there. I did not look that one up. Yeah, I think I think that there was like an off-duty pilot that was up there with them, either in the he was had to have been in the jump seat or something. Okay, and then twenty seconds after them going, I don't have him now. Twenty seconds after the captain goes, oh yeah, before we turned down, when I saw him about one o'clock, he's probably behind us now. Right. So um, they thought that they had overtaken him when, in fact, the airplane was still out there in front of them because. Of what you mentioned earlier, the Cessna 172 had made a turn when he was not instructed to turn. Right. Well, yeah, they had deviated off course slightly. I mean, I hate to say it. That's the nature of instrument training. Sometimes your students are going to deviate off course. And there's that really interesting balance of letting them deviate a little bit so that they can correct it. But also being, you know, you're in really busy airspace, so you got to keep them on on track. There's a reason why those missed approach procedures exist. Now, remember, too, there was no RNAV or anything like that back then. So they're they're flying just off their... The instrument, the ILS. Right, the ILS, the VOR needles, whatever they're flying off of, you know, it's not super precise. So. And you are correct. There was an off-duty captain in the jump seat. Yeah. Because okay. at the sound of the impact at one minute and forty seven seconds, nine oh one forty seven, the off sound of impact and the and the off duty captain lets out an expletive. Yeah. So okay. So then um they're trying to figure out what's happened and um the captain at at uh, fifty one seconds, so just a few seconds later, what have we got here in the first officer? It's bad. We're hit, man, we're hit. Yeah, they literally came. They were coming down. The Cessna was kind of coming up. They hit. They descended down on it. They descended down on it. And it actually, um, it caused the, uh, the wing tank to like basically explode. So the right wing just goes. Yes. On uh, interesting fact. And because the picture I always see and like I'd bought a black book box or black box book years ago this was the first story in the in it with the transcripts from from the cockpit and the cover of the book was this a photographer on the ground who was working another job looked up when he heard the impact and snapped a picture and that's the psa 727 on fire going down right and it's eerily similar to the cerritos crash a few years later with aeromexico okay tell us about that so aeromexico flight 498 this was under different circumstances though because they impacted a pa-28 a cherokee okay 
<clears throat> excuse me. And um, they the Cherokee was not in communicate. They weren't doing like practice approaches or anything like that. I think they had kind of wandered off. They'd wandered into the airspace and they weren't supposed to have been there. And um, the Aeromexico flight was coming in and it was a, very similar. They impacted the, the Cherokee. But um, I think in that situation... I don't know that air traffic control even knew that they were there. Um, it was a family that was um, flying in the Cherokee. And uh, they, I know that they were not equipped with like a mode C transponder or anything like that, which we're required to have, in, especially in those airspaces now. So I don't think that ATC even knew that they were there. I don't even think that they gave traffic alerts. They were just bam. And that was it. Well, the PSA came straight down. Um, this is one where I thought it was the first officer, and the report I have in my hand right now says it was unknown, but the very last thing on the transcript was, um, I love you, Ma. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, this is brutal. <clears throat> and um, the other thing, um, and just reading the, the transcript, that's why, you know, that this stuff is hard and, and just amazing. The When they knew they were going to go down, um, I mean, the captain, this is it, baby. Brace yourself. You know, I, I think of um, and my worst nightmare, and, and I mean that literally. I've had a nightmare where the plane just, it, we're going straight down. And it's that second where you realize, they're, this is it. I've had, I don't know if you as a pilot have had that dream. I've had that nightmare. I have, probably more than once. I have not had it, that it, dream. Or that's that the nightmare. one where you wake up and you don't go to sleep for a couple of hours. I mean, it's like you're coming down. There's no, This is it. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I guess I'm the only one then. If well, you've had that nightmare, let me know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I personally have not had that nightmare. I've had, I've, when I'm awake and I've been conscious, I've thought about, you know, what would happen, what would I do if, or what would happen if, but I haven't been asleep and had that nightmare where I've woken up or, or anything. Okay. So 144 people die and the uh, NTSB investigates and the NTSB says probable cause is the failure of the PSA flight crew to maintain visual separation. Right. But there was a dissenting opinion from the NTSB board. Right. Because uh, the NTS, the, the opinion by one of the guys was that the the unauthorized change in course of the Cessna to him was a, a big factor. And the NTSB, although it mentioned it, did not list it as a, a big factor. Right. What, what's your opinion? I mean... I obviously, if the the airplane is drifting off course, um, you know, it's a big deal. But again, they didn't really have the technology like they didn't have TCAS technology and stuff like that back then to really help them out in the situation. The air traffic controllers were relying on the airplane, um, both the airplanes, both the crews to maintain visual separation from each other. Um, and I, I see where the, the pilots of the PSA flight, they had it in sight, but then they lost it. They should have said something. And then I think, if I remember correctly, there was a weird situation where they said something like, I think it passed off our right side, and, but it was like a somewhat garbled transmission or staticky transmission, and the air traffic controller thought that they said that it was passing off our right side. So they thought that the crew, the ATC could only go off of the information they had. And they said they had visual separation. Exactly. 
And yeah. so it's really hard to place more blame on one entity over the other. It's really, really hard. Because again, the, the technology just wasn't there yet. Fortunately for me, yesterday when we were going into that airport and um, air traffic control was giving us, you know, traffic alerts. Hey, you got this 172 in front of you, 12 o'clock, five miles. I mean, it popped up on our TCAS. We were able to see it um, on our screen, even though we never saw the airplane. We even like even still like once we got on the ground, I looked outside and I was like, wow, I still don't have that guy in sight. And you know what he was doing? Practice approaches. Right. So very similar situations, but completely different circumstances because we had the technology to help us avoid. Yeah. So the aftermath, what was the result of this crash? Because it was like Colgan Air <clears throat> changed a whole bunch of stuff. This even before it, it had some dramatic effects on what we do today as pilots. TCAS is a huge outcome of this and other crashes, like the Cerritos crash, I think. What does TCAS stand one. for? Traffic Collision Avoidance All System. Right. All right, so uh, did that become mandatory on all airlines, 121, or what? I think it is mandatory now on all 121 carriers. Okay. I know that one of the first things that, that happened out of the investigation was Lindbergh Airport didn't even have a radar. Yikes. And so, uh, you know— See, the, I, I didn't even know that. I thought they did. Yeah. Um, so they— um, Implement, they implemented immediately a, a terminal radar service area around Lindbergh Field. And also Lindbergh Field was the only ILS approach in that area. So if you were going to practice it, you had to practice it at the, you know, the airport that all the airliners were coming in at. Right. So they immediately set up other ILSs at other airports for practice. Oh, that's good. I know, too, that... Um it was after the Cerritos crash. I think that's when they started requiring the Mode C transponder in Class Bravo airspace. Well, at the time, there was no Class Bravo because this crash led to Class Bravo. There you go. It was because of this flight. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have Class Bravo today because of PSA 182. And Class Bravo is a more restric restricted airspace that encompasses any of the big um, metropolitan area airports that are bringing in Part 121 airline carriers. Right, class B means busy. <laughs> busy, and um, and the for those who don't who aren't pilots who who are wondering, you have to have permission from the controller to even enter the Class Bravo or Class B airspace, and it's all brought about because of this crash. Yeah, and and unfortunately, crashes like it, like Cerritos. Those were two big ones. Right. Um, so you got TCAS, you got more radar service, uh, radar set up at all the busy airports. You've got Class Bravo implemented. You've got ILS practice fields set up at other airports. There was a lot that came out from this crash. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest, like we've had, um, so we have TAs and RAs in in the you know jet world ta's are traffic advisories and then ra's mean resolution uh advisories and that's where the airplane will actually tell us climb climb you know or it'll tell us to descend or don't climb you know it the airplane will literally tell us to level off it'll tell us what to do that's t that's what tcas will do um a ta is just that it'll say traffic 
and you're like, okay, where's the traffic? Even if ATC, uh, ATC doesn't give us like a traffic alert, the airplane will. Whether it's a 172 or 175, it'll let us know that there's traffic in our vicinity. Um, but an RA, that's a little bit more serious because that tells, like, now we're having to do something. Now it's going to. What does RA stand for? Resolution advisory. Okay. So it's happened coming into DFW before where we've gotten RAs because, like, there's a Cherokee flying in our path when we're coming into land on 13 right into DFW. And when we have an RA, we actually have to do like a, a pilot report on it. Um, you know, so because they're trying to figure out like, okay, why did this happen? You know, all these like little reports go in and the FAA will look at that over time and say, okay, there's been a hundred RAs on one, three, right this year. We need to change the airspace around it. And that's how changes come about changes like what has happened. Fortunately, there there haven't been any like major incidents or anything like that. But our, I mean, RAs do happen. RAs have happened to me not all the time, but when they do happen, if ATC is telling you to descend, uh, to descend, and the airplane's telling you to climb, you climb. So, an R at the when it comes to an RA, you do what the airplane says, not what ATC Absolutely. says. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, interesting. Yep. And I know that uh, just from a recent tour of the regional approach at DFW, the TRACON, um, it, that this very thing was brought up a lot. They kept saying TCAS RA, and they have to, the controllers have to also put in re paperwork and reports Good. when a RA happens. <laughs> it's not just us. Yeah, so that's what they were they Well, were I say good. I'm not saying good because I'm being sassy toward ATC. I'm saying good because all of those reports are going to help the FAA to make those changes that are necessary. If we're, if we're seeing trends over and over again, you right. know, changes need to be made. And that's why you'll see the DFW airspace now looks the way it does because over time they've changed and, you know, grown certain aspects of yeah, it. Yeah, the, the Bravo shelves are created from all this data. Fun fact, we actually, I mean, even just over the last few years, the Bravo Airspace and the stars that we come in on now for DFW, those have changed. Um, it used to be that they brought us in down to 11,000 feet to do like the downwind to come in on the star. And now they level us off at 12,000. But it took a couple of years for them to get that. So for a long time, it was to send via the star except maintain 12,000 feet. And now they don't have to say that anymore because the star actually ha is Says at 12,000. Yeah. Going back to your TCAS system, I'm intrigued because I'm a GA pilot and not an airline pilot. How How is the sensitivity on the T TCAS? So between an, a, a, a caution, what, what's the first level? TA. It's TA. just a traffic advisory. The airplane so will literally that... say traffic, traffic. And so it's... It depends. It honestly depends. So if there's an airplane, if we're level, okay, and there's an airplane that's shooting straight up at us, it's going to give us a traffic alert a lot sooner. Like, it's all computers and math and It computes stuff. The, the path. The trajectory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So if there's an airplane, like, we almost never get traffic alerts um, if we're flying straight and level in RVSM airspace and there's an airplane passing over us at a thousand feet, we don't get traffic alerts for that. It shows up like the we'll get the little, you know, diamond and it gets solid and then we'll, oh, there's the traffic. He's flying right over us. Okay, cool. But it's usually when there's uh like when they're climbing, descending, you know, or at our altitude, that's when we're we're getting the traffic alerts. I see. So. And if it's really egregious, that's where we get the RAs. 
Okay. All right. So PSA Flight 182 changed a lot for the industry. Um, unfortunately, had to change in blood of 144 people. Um, there's memorials and um, stuff all in there. The uh, neighborhood that the plane fell down into is still there. And, um, you know, it was a very, very dramatic thing. Unfortunately, eight months later was the American Airlines 191 in Chicago. And that superseded the worst air disaster in terms of fatalities. So, all right. Well, Christy, uh, as always, enjoyed talking with you about this. You know, the funny thing is you and I both, long before we were ever pilots, we both kind of read this. We studied these accidents and stuff. The first um, major one that I ever read was the Cerritos crash, Mm. the Aeromexico 498. And then um, that's how it looped into this PSA one. And then it was the Tenerife. Yeah. That's kind of where my morbid curiosity went. Yeah. That's where my morbid curiosity went. And then from there, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to thank our sponsors for making this podcast possible, like Marshall Protective Services, mpsprotects.com, Flying Eyes, flyingeyesoptics.com. We're using our discount code, taking off all caps. One word will get you 10% off. Z-Vision, the brightest landing and taxi lights that are out there, 67 designs, the best camera tablet mounts you can have for your airplane. Colton Mortgage, coltontakingoff.com, and Jerry Clemens at clemensinsurance.net has saved me a lot of money. Doesn't doesn't just do airplane insurance. He'll do any kind of insurance. So check him out at clemensinsurance.net. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next time on the Taking Off Podcast. 